We're going to turn to the Bible now. Thank you to Bridget and the band. Lovely. In which case, I'll need a Bible. It's going well so far. Okay, the reading comes from Matthew and uh, chapter 16. Last week I looked at that passage, the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So we're just going to go a little bit further on to the next passage, verse 13. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, this passage is kind of like a hinge in the Gospel of Matthew. Because from this time onward, Jesus begins to talk about his death. And he has to prepare his disciples for that. So this is a key moment in his time with them. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Just pray together. Father God, we are a people of your word and of your spirit. We thank you that we have the Bible in our hands, that we can read your words and meditate upon them. We can gather and just share together in this way. We pray that you will speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do you say I am? asked Jesus. I wonder if you can remember when the penny dropped for you. When you knew... And you may have not known how you knew, but you knew that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Was it a moment? Was it just a gradual understanding that you came to believe in Jesus? 
It's amazing that in this passage, Jesus doesn't give them a whole discourse. He doesn't sort of explain to the disciples, this is exactly who I am. He just asks them a question, two questions actually. He asks them one sort of more vague question, who do other people say I am? Who do other people say the Son of Man is? And they say, well, people say you're John the Baptist, back from the dead, or you're Elijah, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, or one of the other prophets. And then he asks them that personal question, who do you say I am? It's interesting that when you read Jesus, uh, he asks a lot of questions. He asks questions of the Pharisees, he asks questions of the teachers of the law, he asks questions of his disciples in a way to bring truth out from them. Questions are really important. The Alpha course, we've just started again Thursday night here with the group and... uh, We've been doing it for over 20 years now. We've not not had an Alpha course running. And um, it's just great to welcome new people who are... And the first question is, who is Jesus? It's based on questions. Every week there's a question that we ask. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? What about evil, heaven and hell? They're all these questions. 27 million people worldwide have done an Alpha course. Isn't that amazing? Since 1990, 27 million people worldwide. And I don't know if you've heard of the stories that are coming out of Reading in the UK. There seems to be a move of God's spirit just over that town. And the churches are being encouraged to go out onto the streets. And uh, they're given an actual script. You can go onto the church website there in Reading and you can look at the script that they have. It's, it's very prescriptive. But it's based around one question that they ask on the streets. If you were to die tonight, would you know that you would go to heaven? And some of us might think, gosh, that's a bit, you know, in your face. You know, do you think there's a God? That might be a bit more, you know, user-friendly. No, they, they use this question. If you were to die tonight, would you know that you would go to heaven? And depending on that response, they share a little bit more. And it just so happens that because God is at work, he is changing the atmosphere. And they've seen thousands of people responding and asking to be prayed for that they may receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It's astonishing. It's a God thing. We can't manufacture that. Let's all go and copy that on the streets of Camden tomorrow and see if it happens. And we might do. But what I do know is the importance of questions. Sometimes we are so concerned that we give people a great presentation of the gospel, we answer all their questions. Actually, we might be better off just asking them a question. Who do you think Jesus is? See what they say. Who do you think Jesus is? Here in this passage, Jesus shows us the power of asking questions as we see how he gently leads those early disciples to a point where they confess 
publicly, out loud, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And because we're used to it and we, you know, that, that you know, is familiar to us, that was shocking. They've been around this man, Jesus. They know he was born in Bethlehem. They know he grew up in Nazareth. They know his mum and the dad and they knew about him. But now they have realised he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, this man in front of them. And to me, there are three remarkable things about this event, where it happened, what Peter said about Jesus and how he knew it. As you know, I love pictures, so we're going to have a few pictures. Can we have those pictures up? They were up north in Caesarea Philippi. Have we got, there we go. Caesarea Philippi. There it is. If you want to know a bit of the geography, there's the Sea of Galilee. If you follow the Sea of Galilee down, you'll get to the Dead Sea down here. And, um, but it's the furthest north Jesus ever went with his disciples. He went to Tyre and Sidon there, so it's about equivalent. That was modern-day Lebanon. Caesarea Philippi is where he went. And um, perhaps they went in search of some privacy. Perhaps Jesus, Jesus just needed to get away from it all. I mean, that is kind of getting away from certainly Jerusalem. There wouldn't have been the Galilean crowds up there. It was not a Jewish place. It was a pagan place. It was a Gentile place. It was under the domain of Herod Antipas. Well, no, Herod Antipas ruled over the Galilee. Herod Philip ruled over the north bit. They were puppet kings of, of Rome. So it wasn't under Herod Antipas, it was under Herod Philip, sometimes known as Philip the Tetrarch. But it was 25 miles north of Galilee. It had been known by another name, Banius or Panius, but it had been renamed by Herod Philip. Now, he renamed it Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea in honour of the emperor. Never a bad thing to honour the emperor. If you're a puppet king, you honour the emperor. So he called this place Caesarea. But there was also a Caesarea on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast. So he added the other bit, Caesarea Philippi. After himself, of course, if you're going to name a town, honour the emperor and honour yourself. Often paid to do little things like that. Since that time, if you go there now, it's gone back to its original name, Banias. And Banias is the source of the River Jordan. The River Jordan goes all the way from Caesarea Philippi down through Lake Hulid there, Sea of Galilee, and then finishes at the Dead Sea. It is the source of the River Jordan. And if you visit it today and... Uh, if you have the privilege of going to the Holy Land, you'll go to this place. And it is tranquil and quiet. And a beautiful place to walk around. And what you'll see in the rocks are carved out 
sort of um, niches. And uh, you'll realize that this place was used in a very different way. Because in the time of Jesus, it wouldn't have been quiet and tranquil and it would have been a really busy place. It was on the trade route and it was a place of worship. That's what it would have looked like. That same rock face, that's what it would have looked like. And it would have been full of pagan temples and pagan worshippers. Highest of all was the pagan fertility god Pan, which is why they get the name Panius or Banius from. He was the god of nature. And then Herod Philip had built this huge marble, white marble temple in honour of Caesar, where they could worship Caesar as well. I just find it fascinating that Jesus took his disciples to this place, to ask them that question. Who do you say I am? In the midst of all that pagan worship, who do you say I am? Ask people today who they think Jesus is and they may say he's just one of many religious leaders. Maybe they'll just say he's a good bloke. Maybe they'll say I've never really thought about it. That's what I hear the most. I've never really thought about it, who Jesus is. Why should I think about it? Yet we know it's the most important thing that people should think about. It's the most important question to ask someone. Who do you think Jesus really is? So this is the place Jesus took his disciples to and asked them, Who do the crowds say the Son of Man is? And he uses that favourite self-description, the Son of Man. It comes from Daniel 7. If you read Daniel's prophecy, you'll see that Jesus is taking that, that description upon himself. The Son of Man is God himself, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I've found that people don't mind third party questions so much. Who, who do other people think Jesus is. Oh yeah, I don't know. Because that puts you in the position of being the expert. You know, well yeah, they think this and they think that. And, they th- and then Jesus asked that very personal question. As he asked to all of us, at one point or other, we were asked, in whatever way he phrased it, who do you say I am? I wonder what your response was and even is Today, he goes deeper in the midst of all those pagan shrines and temples. And Peter, Simon, Simon, he hasn't got his new name yet. This is where it happens. Simon blurts out. I don't know if even he knew what he was saying. He just blurted it out. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. What an astonishing thing to say. You are the Messiah, which means Messiah is just the, the Hebrew word of Christ. Greek is, the, is Christ. We often think Jesus had a surname. His surname was Christ. Jesus Christ. It wasn't. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One. And in the Old Testament, 
And for the Jews, the, the anointed ones were the priests and the prophets and the kings. But there was this running through the whole of the Old Testament that one day the, the, the Messiah would come. And Peter just blurts it out. You're the Messiah. The son of the living God. The perfect priest. The mediator with God. He was the one, Jesus, who gives us access to the Father. The perfect prophet who shows us what God is like. He is a revelation of who God is. The image of the invisible God. He is a perfect king. He exercises the rule of God. The sovereignty of God. In him the kingdom of God is and comes. You're the Messiah. Maybe you didn't use that word. In your confession of Jesus, if I was to say to you right now, who do you think Jesus is, probably wouldn't be a word you use. I think he's the Messiah. If you come from a Jewish background and you've come to know Jesus, you will use that word. He's the Messiah. They call themselves Messianic Jews. Believers in Jesus. Maybe you call him Lord. Maybe you call him God. Maybe you call him saviour. I don't know. But Simon Peter blurts out, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. In the midst of all that pagan worship, you're not just one amongst many. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The son of the heavenly father. Jesus has that unique relationship with his heavenly father. What this is saying is Jesus is divine. There would be no higher title. Son of the living God. Jesus who had the wisdom of God on his lips. No one ever spoke like Jesus. The power of God in his hands. No one ever did the things that Jesus did. The one who was for them the way, the truth and the life. An amazing setting. An amazing confession. This is the turning point. It's as if Jesus has to say to the disciples, until you get this, we can't go on. Because where I'm going, this is going to have to hold you through what we're going to go through. If you have a conviction that Jesus is God, it will hold you through everything. If you know that Jesus is who he says he is, it will hold you through everything because you will not be able to say, God has abandoned me because you cannot deny the cross. You cannot deny what Jesus has done. And, and Jesus needs the disciples to get to that moment because it's going to get rough from now on. And when life gets rough, we need to go back to our confession of who Jesus is. And this revelation comes to Peter, not from his own cleverness, not from his own deducing, and he sat down and wonder who Jesus is. It just came. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Where did it come from? Jesus tells us it came from the Heavenly Father. That moment when you confessed Jesus for the first time, did it come from you? No, it was a revelation. 
We can't get there by our own cleverness. Nobody can pierce through to who Jesus really is by their own cleverness. It's a revelation from God. Yes, we respond to that revelation. There is something within us that responds to what God has been saying to us, knocking on the door of our lives. But it is a revelation. I find it a mystery, an absolute mystery. Every time I've seen come, someone come to the Lord, the Lord, every time I've had the privilege of praying with someone, that prayer of confession of faith, it is a mystery to me that in the middle of one room there will be some for whom it just the light goes on, the penny drops, and they just I know who Jesus is. And others who I have no idea. And they've heard the same message and they've heard the same things. It's a revelation. There is something that happens between them and God and you and God. and You know who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Only God can reveal God. But the good news is he wants to be known. So two simple questions from Jesus provokes a giant leap forward for the disciples. And maybe we need to perhaps adopt that in our own evangelistic efforts. I enter into so many debates with people and I've just been challenged this week whether I should just ask them a simple question. Who do you think, who do you think Jesus is? And go from there. I always seem to be on the defensive. I don't know about you, but I'm always put on the defensive. How can you do, how can you believe that? How can you believe that? And maybe I just need to say, well, what do you believe? Who do you think Jesus is? Should we give it a go? You see, I sometimes feel I need to know all the answers. I need to have a 10-minute testimony ready. I need to follow up with a snappy gospel presentation. But maybe I just need to ask somebody, if you were to die tonight, do you know that you'd go to heaven? Simon Peter recognises who Jesus really is and Jesus gives him a new name. He says, you'll be Peter, Petros, rock. And on this rock I will build my church. On that confession of faith he builds his church. Because that's what his church is, is people who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. God in the flesh. The saviour of the world. That's the church. On that confession, he will build his church. He doesn't actually use word church. It's a word that was put on that later, but it's, he talks about those who are in his community. He is building a new community. People of faith. And he says, all the forces of hell will not prevail against it. And he delegates authority as well to his disciples. Gives them the keys of the kingdom. We have the keys of the kingdom. We have the ability to open the kingdom for people. Because we know the way. We know the way in. And we can share that with anyone. Keys of the kingdom. And that binding and loosing 
Oh, there's so much been written about those things. But the apostles would interpret Jesus and carry on his mission and his message. Declaring what God says. There were two schools in Judaism at that time. The school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. One was very strict and, and they used to bind things. The other was a little bit more flexible and sympathetic and loose things. But Jesus says, no, you, the church, what you loose will be loosed. And what you bind will be bound. Just in this simple moment with his disciples, way away from the hubbub of Jerusalem, as far north as they got, they have this encounter and Peter declares that confession of faith. Who do you think Jesus is? And if you were to die tonight, would you know, no doubts at all, that you would be with him in heaven? And I guess because we're here tonight, we'd all say, amen, we know that, thank you. Well, that's brilliant. But if there's anyone here tonight who is not sure, you need to know that Jesus wants you to be sure. No doubts. It's all about him and what he's done for you. Your confession of faith, your stepping toward Jesus in trust and belief enables you to say for sure, I will be with him no matter what, because it's about what he has done. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Bridget to come back.